0: robots it's hannah for remedial studies i'm joined by my lovely co-host rachel we are going to be talking about guillermo del Toro's shape of water in a surprise episode as a gift to you all for the auspicious start to this project we're so thankful and we were so excited about this movie and so disappointed when we didn't get to do it as a normal show so we're giving you a little present And ringing in the new year with a bonus episode.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited because I remember when uh, you guys all saw this, if you're one of the 25 people who follow us on Tumblr, we weren't able to see it in time for episode four, but we actually managed to see it before Christmas, I think. And uh, we were so excited and we still wanted to talk about it um, because that's kind of the whole deal with the podcast, is we see things and then we talk about them. Um, But I'm super excited to talk today because, um, as I have said before on this podcast, I am a huge uh, fan of Guillermo del Toro's movies. I love his style of filmmaking. Spoiler alert, this movie was no exception. But did we want to just get, like, what were your general thoughts, Anna? Like, what were some general thoughts that you had that we can kind of jump off of?
0: I just want to talk a little bit about... The structure of the movie, just so we have a plot summary to work off of for people who didn't see the movie or don't want to. Also because I think the structure of the movie is important because it is a fairy tale retelling. And I think that fairy tales have a certain structure that this movie reflected. It's about a woman who is mute. She's not deaf. She's just mute. Due to a tragic childhood baby hood accident so she works as a janitor at night at a secret government laboratory f- research institute with the charming zelda who's played by octavia spencer queen of my heart and she hangs out with the other guy Giles, who's a closeted gay man during the cold war era that can't be fun
1: no it can't be Like, it's not fun being a closeted gay man in 2017. I can't imagine how fun it is in 1962. Right.
0: So, anyway, one day, the normal routine is broken up when they're instructed to clean a lab with a, basically, a fish man that this, I don't want to say crazy, because he's not really crazy. I feel like that's the whole point. This really... You said aggro, and I feel like that's a really good word for this guy. Richard Strickland. Colonel Richard Strickland. He captured a fishman in the Amazon and now beats him with an electric cattle prod uh, in this lab. Because that's science. Spoiler that's alert. That's how science works. Spoiler alert. It's not. Um, I have a biology degree. So she, threw classical... I don't think it's classical music. Through music... And eggs, boiled eggs. Eliza, who's the woman's name, and this fishman form a relationship and it's very tender and gentle and turns out that uh the white male institution is evil and they're gonna kill <laughs> I mean, is that not?
1: Yes, that is it that is that's what I got out yeah, of it. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> spoiler alert? Uh not really. They're gonna do a vivisection of this, you know, conscious being who's capable of speech, which is highly ethical.
1: Yeah, that's, that's like a big point that the doctor who, also spoiler alert, is like a Russian sleeper agent. I didn't expect, and then even though it was like Cold War... And it makes sense. Um, but he doesn't want the, the the operation to proceed because he's like, you know, this creature is capable of like emotion and speech and elevated thought the same as we are. And Richard Strickland does not give a single solitary shit.
0: Eliza and Zelda and Giles form a plot to break the Fishman out of the laboratory
1: it is a daring, es- it's a daring escape.
0: It's a daring escape, and they are assisted by this, uh, Russian spy scientist guy, and that's really the only reason it succeeds, as the surprise collaboration, and then they have to deal with the fact that they are keeping a very foreign, car- not, f- I don't know if foreign is the right word, because he's not, like, foreign out of another country, kind of, like, foreign, like, aliens
1: yeah he there there's a, a sequence of him living in eliza's apartment where he they essentially have to keep him in the bathtub because he needs to stay He he's he's amphibious like he needs to be kept moist for lack of a better word They they have this sort of weird sequence of events where they they realize they don't really know how to take care of him because he is so different
0: Yeah, so that's a whole thing. And then eventually things kind of come to a head because, of course, like, you've lost a top...
1: A top top secret government (laughs) asset.
0: Yeah, and so there's an investigation and Colonel Strickland is, like, running around and his fingers are rotting off. That is a whole thing. And basically it escalates where Colonel Strickland's super desperate because if he doesn't find... He thinks that there's the Russians, like, spirited this guy yeah. amphibian thing away and it's actually the cleaning ladies that did it and he goes a little bit crazy the russians kind of go crazy and there's a lot of violence and then everyone lives happily ever after when they go except for strickland just, he's the wicked stepmother so anyway it doesn't he really matter. is
1: but yeah, at, at the end of the movie is... The the ending shot of the movie is is the poster. Yes. Where they're floating together and she's in the red coat. Yes. And uh, I cried. Yeah. I know you cried because I was there. Yeah. When we saw this movie. I
0: cried a lot for a second. I thought that I was... So basically, at the very end of the movie, this is a spoiler alert. Just... This whole thing is a spoiler alert. Just turn it off now if you're not ready. But, spoiler alert, there's a hot second where Strickland rolls up right as uh, the amphibian guy is about to jump into the lock, and, Mm -hmm. and Strickland shoots him, and he falls over, apparently dead, and, like, I'm like, no, we cannot end on this, this is not acceptable, like, I'm crying, like, I think I'm never gonna be able to forgive Guillermo del Toro, and that he's gonna be dead to me, and that I we mm-hmm. my relationship with Guillermo del Toro just can't move past this. It'll his be story. utterly ruined. But he came through. He came through for me.
1: He knows what we need.
0: Because um the magical healing abilities of the amphibian creature are established earlier. And a little bit of a Chekhov's mm-hmm. gun, I will say. I will admit.
1: Yes. Especially um he he does heal himself and he doesn't he rip strickland's throat out yeah. in just a perfect moment
0: he slashes of dramatic
1: throat. irony Yeah, he
0: slashes his throat and then like he's also Eliza dies or you think Eliza's dying because she like jumped in front of the fish guy and got shot in the stomach mm-hmm. and you're like okay they're both dead and this is just a romeo and Juliet ending and i can't forgive yeah, you
1: we've we've veered in, into our our rnj territory
0: which, unforgivable, but that's not what happened. The fish guy resuscitates her with his magical healing abilities. And
1: uh, and kissing.
0: And kissing, and apparently gives her the ability to breathe underwater, which I'm about.
1: Yeah, because there's that whole thing, and it, it again, in a very Chekhov's gun kind of way. Throughout the film, Eliza has these scars on both sides of her neck where she was mutilated as a child um, and why she can't talk, and she won't let him touch them like she won't let anybody touch her there and at the very end of the film like the last thing we see is he puts like his hands around her neck and they turn into gills so that she can breathe underwater and i'm like getting choked up talking about it
0: (laughs) it's about it's about the transformative power of love rachel do you not it's so beautiful it really is though like (laughs) like it is and it was it
1: was at that moment where i was like you got me, Guillermo. You got me. You have my whole
0: number. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So I didn't mean to give you a 10-minute summary of this movie, but I just love it so much.
1: But also, like, you kind of needed it, because we're going to be talking about it pretty in depth.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So as far as the structure, I remember when we were talking in our uh, production meeting just now, you said that the biggest criticism, or the most consistent criticism, I should say, was that And some of this, I think, can be chalked up to the structure of the story and, like, the structure of fairy tales in general. How there didn't seem to be a lot of screen time devoted to the development of Eliza and um, the assets. We're probably going to call them a couple different things throughout this episode, but the fish man's (laughs) relationship.
0: Yes. Uh, Also that the message, the moral messages in the movie were too direct,
1: too heavy-handed, would yes. you say?
0: Those were the two main criticisms, but that's structurally what fairy tales do. Because it's the, right. the prince and the princess meet and they're in love. And that's, you know, you don't, in a fairy tale, you accept that. But in this movie, people didn't like that so much.
1: Right. And, and I I guess my rebuttal to that is that fairy tale romances, by their structure and by just like their very nature, tend to be a bit montage Like, look at any Disney movie. Like the the Prince and Princess fall in love over the over the course of a roughly three and a half minute song. Yes. And nobody really nobody questions it with the rigor that they question this. I will say the most consistent criticism I've seen that comes from men, particularly, is they don't quite get the appeal of the fish man's character as a romantic intention. It, which is funny because every woman I know who's seen this movie is like, I will sell every man on this earth for one, for one fish man boyfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like most of the women that we know. So I think it is. We talked a little bit about this today because the other thing we talked about uh, in, <laughs> in our production meeting was the female gaze. And yes. I think it's the difference between what men think women want and what women actually want, and the hashtag yes. female gaze. Like, yes, what women want is actually closer to a lithe, sensitive fish man with no preconceptions of what they should or should not be. Who value them at a at a fun their f- at the level of their. F- fundamental personality rather than like a man who is like super muscly and can bench press them
1: right and and i think i think the key to it really is in the scene that should have won a golden globe for miss sally hawkins was when she's talking to giles well she speaks quote-unquote in sign language Yes. That is in turns interpreted by the other characters, usually Zelda or Giles, or um, there's subtitles on the screen, which I thought was very cool. But she says it's something along the lines of when he looks at me, he does not see how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I'm like, that's it. Like, that's it right there. I'm still really pissed at the Golden Globes for snubbing Jordan Peele yeah for that nomination yeah because frankly he deserved it steven spielberg has enough yeah okay he has enough also let someone let someone else do it
0: also james franco really james oh my franco. god i
1: was so angry i was so angry i was so angry they
0: showed they showed the get out actor's face i'm sorry i do not remember and cannot pronounce his name which is terrible of me i haven't seen the movie either but they showed his face and i just like i was like hashtag same
1: i saw it when it came out back in february last february and i saw it in a full theater and it was so good like and and it it, it is a movie i can see how it reminds me a bit, this is, I always go back to Shakespeare and I very much apologize for that, but it reminds me of a conversation that we had in my Shakespearean tragedy class. The example specifically we were looking at was Romeo and Juliet, which has aspects of romance, tragedy, comedy, all sort of stuff, but it's classified most as a tragedy because of the death of the protagonist. It's a good example of how flimsy a genre can kind of be when multiple tropes and things like that exist in the same film. So I, I think that worked against it. Well that's and particularly because the Golden Globes especially is known for splitting up those genres.
0: Yeah. Plus I think that's a similar not problem, but it's a similar thing to actually Shape of Water because mm-hmm. it it's sort of actiony, but it's like romantic and then there's the fairy tale thing and then there's all the violence mm-hmm. that makes it genre fluid as some critics had called it. Almost
1: like water. Um but I I'm sorry. Whoa,
0: next level punning.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. That that was another thing that I saw from a couple of people, not necessarily as a criticism in the traditional sense. Again, another film I talk about Ad nauseum that we'll do an episode on eventually. I think a lot of the issue when Crimson Peak came out, which is a movie I love because I love gothic romance Almost as much as I love Tom Hiddleston. It was marketed as a horror film, which it really isn't. Like, gothic romance is sort of its own thing. And it has its own set of tropes. And, like, you, you have a story for this, too, with um, your movie-picking privileges being taken away. Where if you don't go into it being genre-fluent and kind of knowing what you're going to get, it can be a bit shocking. Yeah. Uh. and i think the one thing i saw with this film is is they thought someone thought it was going to be a i think cute fishy romance was the particular parlance they used and they were like but there's all this violence and sex and i'm like those things can exist in the same film
0: yes and they do and i kind of like that but what are you gonna do
1: yeah i did enjoy to kind of go into the the three to four main characters protagonists that exist within the film's story how it's almost like there's two different stories happening there's a the story that's actually happening and the sequence of events that particularly Richard Strickland thinks are happening
0: yes I like that
1: Guillermo del Toro makes makes movies we've talked about this I think with Neil Gaiman um and the woman who wrote it was the short story collection you talked about for oh. the year with all the keys
0: Helen yemi
1: Helen um oh yeah yemi oh yeah yummy how you sort of write to sort of go down to one line or one scene some authors and some screen screenwriters do that per scene some do it with a not with a whole piece but a big thing i think that it all kind of led to was the end scene the end fight scene where strickland goes and it has been revealed that this russian scientist is a double agent and he uh, kills him he asks him you know who are the other people on your team how did you get into my building like still going with this narrative that it's this top um, top skill level, basically like the like Russia SEAL Team 6. And this guy, this scientist is lying like bleeding out knowing he's going to die and he just laughs in his face and he's like, they're nobody, they're just the help. Ah, uh, power move. <laughs> what a power move. Because that is why, in addition to the assistance given by the scientist, that is ultimately why the plot to free the fish man succeeds because they are overlooked. And they're believed, it's almost believed that they're not capable of that kind of subterfuge or even, like, that kind of depth of emotion.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it shows how some people, especially people in power, start to Mm -hmm. see other people who have less power as less human than themselves. Yes,
1: yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. I think that leads to the very purposeful narrative decision of having the three main human characters, Eliza, Zelda, and Giles, be people who would not have necessarily had a voice in 1962 to kind of put a bit of a fine point on it. But like Eliza is disabled and Zelda is black and Giles is gay. And it's shown throughout the film that they are not in demographics that are respected or given any kind of thought in their day-to-day lives by the white male patriarchy that be.
0: Yes. I think you see that most clearly with Giles and the ad agency subplot and then yes. his experience at the pie diner with the terrible pie and the cute counter boy. Oh my god,
1: yes. The cute counter boy who turns out to be a racist, homophobic piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which we all kind of saw coming.
0: I But poor Giles did. Poor Giles. He's so innocent and so sweet for, you know, a middle-aged man.
1: He just wants to find love.
0: Yeah. He does get his hair back, at least. He
1: does get his hair back, which sometimes you just got to take what you can get.
0: (sighs) Yes. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting... I didn't see this talked about as much, and maybe it's just because it's like... Obvious and not interesting to other people, but I really, (laughs) this movie was super, super heavily handedly feminist. uh
1: yes, I one hundred percent agree with that. I, I think my, I started talking about this in our production meeting because my response to people who are like, "Oh, it's too heavy handed," is, "What's the alternative?" Because in my experience. I've talked about this before, how I, I, I ID on the LGBT spectrum and all that fun stuff. Ultimately, representation is such a hot button topic for things uh, of that nature. Because oftentimes, if it's not explicitly stated, it is not accepted. So when you have a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who recently had um, a female... a female um, l- l- Latina character Rosa Diaz come out as bisexual and however look dead in the camera and be like no I am bi this is who I am there's people who are like oh I don't like that and I'm like well why not so you can't deny
0: it so I, I, you know what I mean no, like, yeah. I, I guess
1: because that's the that's the, the the personal context I come at it from yeah where I would much rather be beaten over the head with it than to have it be so subtle that people willfully or otherwise overlook it. Yeah,
0: you can't have bi erasure when the character is like, I'm bi, and is making, like, forceful eye contact with the camera. Yes. <laughs> but I feel like that is maybe very intentional on their part to be like, no, we're not doing that.
1: Um, no it's not oh i don't want labels it's oh i don't know or whatever it's like no i am insert sexuality here. yeah
0: and some people to be fair some people don't like labels and some people don't know but there's like a big number right. of people that do know and they should be represented just as much as anybody else and not just played for plot points or sensationalism like they're real people that exist and or you know that's i don't know it just makes me upset
1: no, it makes me upset too. And and, and and I think that's why it didn't... One of the reasons it didn't bother me is because it, it is refreshing to see somebody who isn't afraid to be heavy-handed. Because I think... Even though I think as, as a culture we're shifting into a paradigm where obviously uh, feminism, or claiming to be feminist at least, is becoming much more mainstream and much more like the accepted thing. I, I think people... J.K. Rowling though she gave me my childhood as a great example of this. It, it's almost like people want to have it be so subtle that it could go one way or the other.
0: Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Sometimes it's like people don't want there to be wrong answers, I think, in their art because then they can mm-hmm. use it however they want. And I think really sometimes it's powerful to maneuver yourself in a way to say like no there's clearly a right answer here and it's that right. <laughs> that some things are bad
1: right and and Guillermo del Toro has done that throughout his career as a director and and a screenwriter Pan's Labyrinth is another great example it takes place in I think a similar time period in fascist Spain hmm where the main antagonist in this dream world, question mark, that the main protagonist spends a lot of her time in, he's called the Pale Man. And he's like, you know, there's a reason he's pale and a man. <laughs> and he sits at this table full of food that he never eats from, but he'll kill you if you take anything. Yeah. Like he is, uh, uh, he's not, he's never been a subtle director. Again, and that's sort of my context where I'm, I'm a very big fan of his and I come from that sort of filmography where he uses things like color and character and even like set pieces and things like that where he, it is all towards a very direct message.
0: Yeah, and I like that about him and I felt that the Color and cinematography, language, stylings, Mm -hmm. methods in this film were not only really beautifully done, but they were also, like, I don't know, deeply meaningful. Like, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is after Eliza and the fish guy kind of consummate their relationship, if you will. She's on the bus to go to work, and she is in a red coat. And it's the first... In a red hat, and it's the first time you see her in a color other than, like, blues.
1: Yeah, she wears lots of blues and grays and browns. And
0: I know that's something that happened in Pacific Rim with some of the lighting in Pacific Rim.
1: Yeah, and everybody kind of had their own color palette.
0: Yes, so I really... I don't know and the lighting in that scene that bus scene like it's a bus it's ugly i've been on public transport it's not
1: it's all ugly it
0: doesn't look like that but love made public transport beautiful in that moment
1: yeah and i think the thing in that i believe it's the same scene that really got to me about the title of the film is she watches all the water droplets come together yeah and just meld into one. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, ah. Oh.
0: Yeah, it was a good. It's a very it's a very soft. I felt very soft watching that.
1: I did. I did as well. And she got like the red shoes, isn't that when yes. Zelda starts noticing? <laughs> yes. That she's like and we all learned sign language for for fish penis. Um, <laughs> which, which I was delighted by.
0: Yes. Yes, people talk about like all the explicit sex in this movie, but you don't see one fish penis.
1: You don't see one fish penis, man. You do not see a one. It's very tasteful. That's my, that's my criticism. (laughs) I came for the fish dick, Guillermo. (laughs) You spent all that time on that creature's butt. You can't give me one, like, maybe five seconds tops full frontal. Nothing? It is very tasteful, though, to be fair. Yes,
0: I'm, I'm like weeping over here, (laughs) over that. I'm weak.
1: From like a point that um, I wanted to make because it's a point that Guillermo del Toro has made several times, a lot of this movie was inspired by, oh, I think it was from the 1950s, I had it in my head a second ago, the OG Creature from the Black Lagoon. The Creature from the Black Lagoon is about, is, it's one of the Universal monsters, like the monster movies that U- Universal Studios put out around that time that spawned a lot of uh, very now famous depictions of, especially Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, who were, I think, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, respectively. So it's from that era of, like, black and white monster films. And Guillermo del Toro said that he saw that movie, and the monster dies at the end. In a very similar scene to the end of this movie, where he is accosted by this person who found him, who in the film is David Reed, is, is the character's name, and he shoots him, and he, like, sinks into the water, presumably dead. It's very Grendel. It's very Grendel and Beowulf. Guillermo del Toro, was thinking he was like, he was like, before age 10, when he watched that movie, he was so disappointed because he wanted the monster and I think Kay is the name of the female protagonist. Like he wanted them to fall in love and be together. (laughs) And that was like a big defining moment of how he wanted to make movies. Because Guillermo del Toro throughout his career has said a lot about the effect of monsters on him. And the way he does films, um, there's one quote that I want, like, tattooed on my face that is, I'm paraphrasing and I apologize, but it's, Some people find God, I found Frankenstein. Oh my god.
0: He would.
1: He what though? And he, his speech, um, he won for Best Director at the Golden Globes this past weekend. He mentioned about how he, he loves monsters because monsters are a reflection of beautiful imperfection. And they're this manifestation of almost anxiety we have about things like that. And he talked about how, like, this movie, he mentioned three movies, I think it was Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, and now Shape of Water, and how, like, making those films and investing in these worlds really has, like, saved his life. And, and I think that that's a very beautiful thought when you look back at these old movies, where we, we touched on this last week about how... What we have viewed as monstrous has changed so much in the past, even in the past 80 years, up to 100 probably, because when the universal monsters were made, a lot of monsters were still like the disfigured and the people in masks and all that fun stuff. And now there's like that joke that like Scooby-Doo taught us the real monsters are human. (laughs) That is, I think, the shift that we're at now where a lot of like monsters who do really monstrous things. So much now what we view as as monstrous is really like the human. And I and I thought that was interesting when we talk about this film because the real monster of the movie is Richard Strickland. Yeah,
0: no. And that's even in the narration. Giles mm-hmm. calls him a monster.
1: Yeah, it's the movie's book-ended by these two scenes of eliza in water the last one being the one on the cover where she floats away with her gills and her fish boyfriend and the beginning is like this long tracking shot through her apartment but it's been flooded and he calls her the princess without voice go back to our previous point about fairy tales there was so much little mermaid in this yeah
0: there was wasn't there the princess without voice dang it girama Dang it. It was it was so cute. I love it so much.
1: But somebody being able to see you even if they can't hear you mm. is something that went through this whole movie. Like I the part where I started crying at the end because throughout the course of the film she teaches some simple signs to the fishman so they can in essence speak to each other. And when she lets him go because obviously she is not amphibious at this moment (laughs) she cannot follow him into the lock where like the rains have finally come and he can go out into the ocean because it takes place in baltimore i think so yeah go back into the ocean and go home where he he turns back to her and it's like you and me together is what he signs and it's like he doesn't understand that she can't go back with him and it reminded me of the scene at the very end of the Disney Little Mermaid before King Triton gives her her legs back where she's like sitting on the rock yeah. and watching him on the beach like that's what that reminded me of obviously in a much more emotionally intense way but but I think that was part of for me and again I went into it kind of expecting this the fairy tale almost magical realism kind of elements of the film i think were really what made it work when you were able to contrast it with the fact that men like richard strickland are very very real yes not just from the 1960s but like through to today
0: yes i just feel like it comes back to the rotting finger somehow i guess i guess that's a very magical real i don't even know that's magical realism it was gross and it's like this guy's literally rotting he's a bad dude
1: He's rotting from the inside out, yeah, they turn black and he has to like rip them off at the end, which I covered my eyes for that because that was super. yeah cool. I
0: couldn't I couldn't handle a lot of the violence at the end because um there's some super because he rips his fingers off to intimidate Zelda yes. not because he like can't take the pain or the rotting or the smell anymore. it's to intimidate someone. that's accurate right like i didn't imagine i believe so
1: because there's that whole scene where he because he knows he doesn't know how but he knows zelda has covered for eliza and how she was able to get the fish man out of the facility and he goes to her house and i think we talked about this line when we saw that movie but uh, zelda's husband is there and throughout the whole film she's complained about him and how he never does anything and he never helps and it's it's him that reveals where Eliza is and that she's going to free him, the fishman. And Zelda says something when she goes to like call her and her husband's like, basically, what the fuck are you doing? We need to stay out of this. This is gonna go this is gonna break bad. Really bad. And she says, like, you couldn't understand even if you tried for a million years. She
0: says him, um, you will never understand this experience. And I was just like, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it now because like, mm-hmm. like that's so true I think of so many people's experiences we're never going to get them the people in power are never gonna understand that experience and it's like I think that that was the line where I'm like yes this film is so feminist that it's hurting me because I think it's that thing where like unless you've lived it every day of your life like men aren't going to fully under understand what it means to be. A woman or what that feels like and I mean maybe it's also true in reverse like I'm never going to understand what it's like to be a man fully and I think like unless you like understand that there is a disconnect like it really it obviously harmed their marriage and their relationship I think that's ultimately it because like Colonel Strickland's never going to understand he's not one he's not going to understand the relationship that Eliza has with the fish man Uh because he like kind of lusts after Eliza and you're like
1: in a very creepy yeah, way. Yeah, you're
0: incredibly nervous the whole movie that he is going to pull some, basically some sexual gonna pull violence some shit. on this mute woman. And you're like, who?
1: Yeah, whose entire appeal to him is that she's silent. Yes, that's. At, like, speaking of not being not heavy-handed, like the fact that, that her entire appeal to him is literally that she cannot speak. Yes. Like, I think that was my moment when I was like, oh.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, maybe. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a thing. But,
0: yeah, and he can't, so he can't understand, yeah, the fact that he doesn't even, I feel like the fact that he wants her to be silent, or that he wants a woman that, to be silent because there's a whole other scene where he's having relations with his wife, and she's like, honey, mm-hmm. you're bleeding on me, and he just covers her mouth, mm-hmm. and I'm like, like
1: that was like I had like a strong visceral reaction to that. Yeah, there was a
0: sharp intake of breath on my part. But I think the point that I'm getting to is that Eliza's appeal is that she's not a full person to him. Like she's silent. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to accept women. Women are more appealing to him when they don't have when he when they don't have what he perceives as full personhood, which is a a voices. Whether it's a literal voice, a speaking voice, or you're signing or you're communicating in some way. Having a voice and a perspective is a key part of, like, having a human experience. And the fact that her, she's more appealing to him because he perceives her as having somehow less of a perspective and a voice is, like, super gross. Because I think the movie shows that she definitely has a voice and a perspective just because it's not uh, traditional doesn't mean that it's not there. Because he has this whole hang up on this silence thing. I think it shows too, like, he's not capable of seeing anything other than, you know, another white man as a full human being. He's never going to get on this level where he can humanize what is basically a different species, you know?
1: Right. And and I think an, an important distinction that is made throughout the course of the film is the different reactions between him and the Russian scientist. Yes. Who is also a white man. And he uh, sees the, the personhood and the humanity of this asset and uh, assists Eliza and Zelda and Giles into getting him out of the facility. Because as a scientist, especially, he cannot see this, this creature murdered. And he won't do it. Because he is being pressured both by his bosses at the lab, but also by, like, his liaisons with the Russian government.
0: Yes. And I think in the end, it ultimately gets him shot not only by Strickland, but by the Russian. He gets shot by the Russians. Oh, yeah. And then Strickland shoots the other Russians and then shoots him and then tortures him for information. I was really mad at him because... He gave up the jig. The jig was up. He he talked, mm-hmm. but, I mean, he was being tortured pretty severely. I
1: He was being tortured pretty severely. That is that is. I fair. had trouble
0: watching that, too.
1: I did, too. It was almost like the sound of it was worse. For me, a lot of violence, like really graphic violence like that. While I do not feel it was gratuitous in the traditional sense, it was a lot. I think there's a difference between something being hard to swallow and something being gratuitous does that make sense yes
0: i mean there's a purpose there's a purpose to the violence that was in the movie
1: right and 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 i think i it. it it would have been un. i don't want to say unrealistic because it's not like they're really worried about that (laughs) i think it would have been unrealistic to have a man like strickland in his position to not be Violent. Yeah,
0: I mean, I tell you what. The scene that got me, like early on where I knew I'm like I'm going to cry a lot and it's going to be a tough go, is that scene where he's in the bathroom and they're cleaning the bathroom and he <gasps> Yes. He goes in and he like uses the urinal and he washes his hands before he goes to the bathroom.
1: And not, and not after.
0: after. And then um he's like talking to them with his you know, his junk's out and he's talking to the, the, these women like it's not a big deal. And he, when he leaves, he picks up, he left his electric cattle prod on the sink and he picks it up and there's just a little smear of blood on the sink from where he's been beating the fish man. And I'm like, oh, we're going to have so many problems <laughs> during this movie.
1: I know. We saw it. Do you think there was, it was a majority female audience when we saw it? I feel like we saw that movie with a lot of, like, older artsy yeah, ladies. Yeah, there
0: was a bunch of older artsy ladies in our theater. And there was, like, a squad of dudes our age in front of us. Yes. Yeah, there was a dude squad. But it was there, it was mostly groups of women and a couple of couples and then one dude squad. I think
1: I'm probably going to get reamed for this but who cares? I do think it it is a movie. I don't think men and by that I mean like cis men can't appreciate it, but I I think it is a movie that speaks to not just womanhood, but like marginalized people? marginalized the yeah, of 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 all the people who have been seen as not of full personhood. And that is something that I think it is it it is. Because it is, it is something that I think men can sympathize with, and they should sympathize with. Because it's always important to look beyond your own perspective. We've talked about that before on the show. But it is—you're never going to be able to empathize with that full experience, and that's something that you have to accept. It's
0: like, do you remember when Beyonce put out Lemonade, and like white people freaked out a little bit?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: like, this isn't. This
1: isn't. This isn't for yeah, this
0: us. Isn't, this, <laughs> this isn't. This album isn't for. Her for us and i think that's fine and it's just like not things everything doesn't have to be for everybody i think you see Mm -hmm. in a lot of the like backlash in movies like wonder woman and the all women remake of ghostbusters you see a lot of people throwing a fit because all of a sudden this thing that things all things have always been for this one group and now we have things that aren't necessarily for you anymore it's not that it's right. not that they can't enjoy them or that those things aren't valuable and consumable by them it's just not
1: why will you not empathize with something else but you expect the rest of us to empathize with you
0: yeah I don't know I guess that's what having privilege and power does to a person I don't really i guess is that i guess i
1: guess i guess i think that's it and that's something obviously that's something white women are not above obviously white women um especially straight white women though this is of course not exclusive there's always the groups that are marginalized within marginalized groups so like with women it's like white women are at the top and then like way down at the bottom you have like trans women of color yeah who are just stepped on like they're not yeah. full people Also, this
0: at all. is no two. We have two. We will add more rules. Uh, our first rule is no Nazis. Second rule, no no mm-hmm. turfs. Yeah.
1: No fucking turfs. That's a good goddamn point. No
0: no Nazis. <laughs> no turfs.
1: Some of this movie reminded me a bit of the conversation we had. I don't remember if we had this when I talked about Discworld, um, but I know we've talked about it together is how in the witches series of Discworld so and the Tiffany Aching series of Discworld there's so many really really insightful notions about womanhood that Terry Pratchett makes even though he's like an old white dude. And it reminds me of something that I know we've talked about with other things too, how the bar is so low that whenever anyone pole vaults over it, we're all just like shocked.
0: Right. Well, I think something I had seen on the interwebs was that some people had thought and were putting forth the idea that Terry Pratchett's wife must have written um, the witches books because how could, you know, an old you know, guy, understand and be that insightful about womanhood. I think it's interesting because I see that sometimes with male writers when they write a really good female character. It's like, oh, some woman ghost wrote that. And maybe and maybe some women did do some ghost writing. Zelda, Fitz, yeah, Zelda Fitzgerald got robbed. But here's the thing. No one is like, oh, this woman wrote this really insightful male character. Her husband must have ghost wrote it. Exactly. It, it's almost like we,
1: I've seen, there's been a couple of posts going around of like, like really, really bad examples of how to write female people. Like that guy who thought that women's urethras were like these twisty turny pipe things tucked up inside their bodies. Uh. And I'm, I'm just like, that's not true. Biologically sir this idea of like the feminine and the female being unknowable
0: yeah and that's not not the case like that's no that's internal. <laughs> that's not true that's at internalized all. i hate to break it to you but that's internalized misogyny like you're a human person people can't understand you if they make an effort i guess with
1: this movie what what really made me is i do love it i love it is It is a film that was made with so much heart and so much love in it that it bleeds through onto the screen. Yeah, it's
0: a very, despite the violence and the sex and whatever, it's a very, it's a very tender film. Like, we've used the word tender a lot, but I feel like it's, Mm -hmm. it's very...
1: It's soft.
0: Yeah, it's an emotional movie, and I think... The characters have to be vulnerable, but I think the movie, in a way, also asks you as a viewer to be vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I I think my whole thing that I took away from it that really sort of got me is that the whole movie is about no matter who you are, no matter what people think of you, no matter what you think of yourself, there is somebody out there who will see you and who will hear you and who will love you just as you are. And that is a very powerful Sentiment.
0: Yes, it's a movie that celebrates that humanity is not about what you look like on the outside, whether you're, you know, whether you have a disability or what your race is or your sexual orientation or whatever, or if you have, you know, scales and glowing, you know, bioluminescent patches like you your personhood and your humanity is a fully developed and legitimate thing and it should be protected and valued
1: exactly it is something i i remember i don't remember the exact quote i'm like frantically searching for it it's like the poem that giles recites at the end of the film here we go and it's like the the, the print The princess without voice speech at the beginning of the film is like he's the narrator introducing a fairy tale. Like, if I tell you about her, what would I say? And the end kind of echoes that when it's the long shot panning back from them floating in the water, like on the poster. Unable to perceive the shape of you, I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart for you are everywhere. And the fact that that whole sequence takes place while they are literally surrounded by water. A thing that takes the shape of its container and fills it up. Sort of brings the title of it back. Because I don't think I really got what he was going for until that scene and the scene
0: with the water droplets on the bus. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's... I'm hurting. I'm hurting real bad. My feelings.
1: The message of it might be heavy-handed, but that doesn't make it not true or not comforting. Yeah,
0: I don't know where we got this idea that art needs to be subtle.
1: I agree with that. I don't really know where that came from, and I don't know why we still cling to it. Maybe it's because we want to be figured out, and we want to be mysterious. I say the the almighty we. I think some people do it because they want to feel clever. Which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it's pretty douchey. Yeah,
0: it's not like the most legit reason Like to look smart is not like the best reason to do something not
1: every story has to have a lesson quote unquote but i think we talked about this last week and how i i i'm a symbol hunter and a meaning hunter and i want to find things but i do think everything just even if it's not necessarily what an artist intends or sets out to do i, I do think every story in some way shape or form says something and and I Mm -hmm. think Guillermo del Toro is keenly aware of that and he is he he really is like the architect where he plans and but he also like lets things kind of flourish on their own at the end of the day I really loved this movie I really really had a good time watching it yes I was actively engaged throughout the entire film and it was it like it is beautiful Mm. like the cinematography the production design the guy who composed the score won a golden globe as well this weekend very well deserved it almost harkens back to me the score especially harkens back a little bit to like the silent film era a little bit to me that's how i saw it used at least was that a lot of the emotion especially of the nonverbal characters eliza and the the fish man, a lot of the emotional reaction was sort of mirrored in like the different instruments that are used in their themes and how like at the end of the film and i think in the scene where they consummate their love in a flooded bathroom those instruments mix that was really, really cool and really well done to me. It's gorgeous. It's like everything else Del Toro does. It's beautiful. It is beautiful and wonderfully made.
0: I mean, what can I say? Guillermo del Toro knows knows my heart.
1: My father who raised me. Yeah. When I burst, Athena-like, from his brain.
0: Yes. He just he knows me. He knows my heart. He knows. He can pull. He can pull those strings. Uh, and I and I love him for it. I do.
1: He knows how to tell a story. It's
0: ni- it's nice to have seen a movie where the point isn't to get as many superheroes on screen as possible. Anything you want to say to tie put a bow on this one? It was a refreshing
1: film to watch at the end of the day because it was about the power of love and human connection and how ultimately the men in power will be overtaken and defeated by those they view as beneath them
0: yeah i like it i like it a lot
1: and like true love is real (laughs) true love is real and you might find it with a fish man but it's out there all right, guys, that's going to wrap us up for uh, this special New Year's bonus episode of the Remedial Studies podcast. We hope uh, you enjoyed that we put out an extra episode. We, we've been trying to kind of think of ways to make more content because we really like making it and we really like people to respond to it. Um, if you would like... To get in touch with us, we are available on Twitter at @remedial_studies Remedial Studies or on Tumblr at Remedial Studies Podcast. We're also available via email at RemedialStudiesPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. If you really liked the show and you have something to say about it, um, we'd really appreciate if you would leave a review because that's really sweet. And it supposedly helps people find our show. So, if you just kind of like listening to us talk to each other, which is something we never thought anybody would ever do, let us know. And we love you. That isn't the end of our outro, but I just wanted to say that. The next episode should be up still on the 20. I believe it's the 23rd. Um and we're going to be discussing Star Wars the Last Jedi. I'm excited for that conversation because I think this might be something that we have a bit more of a differing opinion.
0: Yeah, this may be the first time you see a little bit of we're going to duke it out.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm going to try to formulate my thoughts because it's one of those movies where there were parts I didn't like and there were parts I did and I'm still kind of trying to parse that out in my brain so that I can communicate it clearly at a later time. <laughs> Which is always, that's always the hard part in it. But um, yeah, we shall see you guys um, on the 23rd. Continue to have a good, a good New Year. It's still the first month of the year. I think we can still say Happy New Year. We love you. We love the show. And I hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. And if it's not Tuesday, if you're listening to this, have a good day.
0: Yeah, see you later, robots.